Hey, Dave, tomorrow's uh, Valentine's. Did you get something for Laura? Oh, I sure did. I got something for Robin. Got it right here. Let me show you. Are you kidding me? No. Look at that. That's the uh, armor fighting vehicle cards from Congressman's. Yeah, aren't they sweet? She's going to love these. Look, look, they got everything on here. The to kill numbers, the to hit numbers, the, uh, the armor factors. It's everything at a glance. She's going to flip over this. I, I, you know what? I think I'm set. I must be the best husband in the, in the entire world. What do you think? You think she's going to go for it? Dave? No. <laughs> if you say so. Are you I, kidding me? Yeah, I think she's going to love it. She's going to love it. You know what? I, I married the right woman. She loves everything I give her. Boy, now I'm really glad I got Laura that vacuum cleaner. <laughs> I can't believe I pulled that out. <laughs> the greatest game in the world? Advanced Squad Leader. That's right. Who are you? I am David Kleinschmidt. And I am Jeffrey Hallett. And this is episode 64, part 3 of Night. And the, the third and final part of Night, I think. Right? If we manage to get through it. Yeah. For a change. Hopefully we will. We'll talk fast. We'll leave out every other word. It might be more understandable that way. Uh, so we've got an interesting show tonight, but first... Um, a sad note, we just learned today, today is uh, February 20th, 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 and we just learned today of the passing of Bill Connor, otherwise known as Fish, and um, we heard about very it. Very shocking. Yeah, very shocking, because he was a young guy, 59 years old, young guy, and we heard from, uh, well, we saw the post. When did you first hear about it, Dave? Actually, um, email. Yeah, Daryl Burke did email us directly into okay. Gmail. Okay, asked us to get the word out, and yeah. I. So uh, let me just read what Daryl wrote on Game Squad today. He said, uh, "I'm saddened to have to report to the ASL community that Fish passed away on February 17th. I had spoken to him earlier in the week, and he had not been feeling well. I called today, Sunday the 19th, and his brother Mike answered the phone and told me he was gone." Services will be held at the Becker Funeral Home in Struthers, Ohio, on Tuesday the 21st. I don't know what else to say as I'm still in shock. The world has lost a great gamer, and I've lost a great friend and gaming buddy. Play a scenario in his memory and use Sergeant Connor. I know he'd appreciate that. Uh, hope to see you at Aslock, but I, it won't be the same for me. Sorry, the tears are flowing freely now. Daryl Burke. And uh, yeah, Daryl, you said it better than we could possibly say anything about um, the passing of um, Bill Connor, and have a little from his obituary that uh, ah. he was born on September tenth, nineteen fifty-two, in Denver. Uh, he was nineteen seventy Woodrow Wilson High School graduate and worked as a postman. I remember he we talked. Uh, luckily, we got an interview with he and uh, Daryl both together. 
Yeah. At, at that ASLOC when we went and did all those recordings and yeah. just think how fortuitous that was and um, lucky that we got that done. Yeah, that was episode 47 that we and had that. Yeah. He talked about being a postman then. And mm-hmm. I didn't know he was a veteran of the U.S. Army where he was stationed in Europe. He was also a member of Akron Chapter of the 82nd Airborne. Services were held, and of course, he was a legend in the hobby. Yeah. And I encountered his name in all those early general magazines. Oh, yeah. Back in, what, 85 to 90, and remembered that he organized the, got the whole thing started there in Ohio with the tournament. Just unbelievable things that he did for the hobby. Yeah. So very sad that he's gone. Yeah. Still, it just reminds us all of our mortality. And yeah. Make sure we get our lives right and enjoy what time we have with each other. Yeah. It's all about relations, right, yes, Jeff, as that's we were right. talking about earlier today. That's right. Um, anyway, our, our warmest wishes and sympathies go out to uh, to Bill's family. And friends. Yeah. And uh, we'll miss you. Yeah. And now, on a lighter note, what else have we got going on, Dave? Well, this episode is brought to you by Eclectic Zeal. We've got a sponsor. Online gaming store. That's right. Uh, Eclectic Zeal is now open, and they sell all MMP ASL products, as well as their their favorite war games, family games, and strategy games. And our favorite ones, too. Yep. They'll ship for free when orders total more than $99. They gotta, give... Gotta love the free shipping. Oh, I love free shipping. Can't underestimate that. Yeah. And $99, that's so easy to do in gaming. And it could be a song, like, $99 on the wall, $99. Yeah, we can edit that out. <laughs> do you know what? Look, Zeal will give you one reward point for every dollar you spend no. in the store, Jeffrey? Really? That's, Absolutely That true. seems pretty extravagant. Additionally, I know for a fact that they give their customers 100 complimentary reward points on their first purchase. And those can be spent to save money on any future purchase. And they offer full money-back guarantee if you do not like the games you buy. But you... Yeah. Don't do that to them. You're going to like the games you buy? Come on. And even if you don't like the game, it's very important to support those stores. So so keep it. Keep keep the game, game. Sell it on eBay. Give it to somebody. But that's just Jeff and mine's opinion, of course. They will offer a full money-back guarantee. Gleefully, happily, gaily. And last time we announced that the two Half Squad listeners had a special coupon. Yeah. Two Half, two H-A-L-F, until the end of January. That has been extended until March 10th. Of 2012. And that saves 5% on their first purchase. Yeah. First purchase. So that's a great uh, great deal for everybody, and we thank them for their sponsorship and so, for having that nice coupon in our name. So go visit that site and go talk to Glenn and make an order. Yeah. Talk to Glenn Oberhauser. It's www.eclecticzeal.com. And if you um, don't know how to spell eclectic zeal, just check our show notes. Or go get an education. <laughs> and with all that I money, already got one. Yeah, with all that money they're saving. He took mine. They could afford an education. It's a great idea. <laughs> all right. And now, ladies and gentlemen, is it time for letters, Jeff? No. You know what? Is it time for what's in the box, Jeff? No. Is it time for art? Box art review! Box art review! No. <laughs> ah, is it time for 
Terrain time? We've only done one of those. No terrain History time. report? No. Um, no special guests. What else do we do on this show? No. Yeah. Yeah. None of that. Well, then what no, is there? No movie report. Yeah. Book review. Movie review. Book no, report. No book review, though. I did watch Von Ryan's Express. Oh, yeah. So yeah. we're going to do that. Give us that. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Um, I, You know, I didn't... I, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't had a chance to listen to your review that you did on Von Ryan's Express. It's okay, but Jeff. I'm used to no one listening it, to the shows yeah. that I do by myself. <laughs> you actually got a lot of good uh, a lot of good press on that yes. show. Yes, and I thank everyone. Because yeah. you may see that again sometime, yeah. Jeff or I by ourselves. But. Yeah. But, um, well, I decided I was uh, home alone the other night, and uh, I wanted to watch something that I hadn't seen in a while, but I wanted something familiar, too, something I knew was good. And so I found Von Ryan's Express on uh, Netflix for streaming. So I poured myself a little beverage and pulled that up and watched the whole movie stem to stern. And I will say I enjoyed myself very much. And that's your review. That's my review. I'm thinking of going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wear a patch, I think from now on too. What's I'll get the patch reference. The Italian uh, captain uh, had a patch on that sort of befriended the Americans and helped them, uh, help them guide the train through the, Italian countryside. Oh, correct. And okay. help them escape. Yes, yes. Yeah. And did you like the landscapes? Well, I would say, okay, so here's my review of the movie. I thought the movie was very well done. I liked right from the beginning. I liked the score. Of course, it was scored by Jerry Goldsmith, who's one of my favorite composers of movie music. And, uh, I mean, great cast. Trevor Howard. How can you go wrong with, with Trevor Howard? Mm-hmm. That great upper, stiff upper lip uh, British uh, major. Mm-hmm. And of course, Frank Sinatra is great in anything that he's in. I think he's a very good actor and and just fun to watch. Just a fun guy to watch. He's just he he made me want to drink that cocktail that I had uh-huh. um, with his you know wearing his hat cocked sideways and uh, you know very handsome guy. But a, a great movie, realistic. I you know I would say that uh, some of the costumes I didn't think were all that realistic looked a little bit. Modern. The uniforms? Actually, some of the uniforms the looked a little modern. The, the materials they used in Frank Sinatra's uniform looked oh. like modern materials. That's yeah, getting a little like a black leather jacket or Yeah, something. well, and the, the um, fatigues that he was wearing was like a, was like a nice polished herringbone. Oh. <laughs> <Instead> of, <laughs> that's what it looked like to me. You know, so uh, anyway. But... Um, but a good movie. It had a, a good, uh, um, you know, not too much violence, but enough. It was gritty enough without being over the top. Sometimes I think the movies these days uh, can be a little bit overly graphic, and it's not. They're not fun to watch. And in a in a way, I think you know, war movies maybe should not be fun well, to watch well, because war is horrible. Yeah, there you go. That that's a very interesting comment, and I don't know if I mentioned on this show before that I. Show my students a clip from All Quiet on the Western Front and a clip from Sergeant York. And then we compare and contrast those. And and so, yeah, a a fun, well, not fun. Well, it wasn't fun because... It wasn't fun, but it was... But it was not depressing, like you said. Yeah. You know, you had some excitement, some sense of you want these guys to succeed. Yeah. Not a sense of, like... All of life is lost because we're in this horrible situation that's, you know, yeah, nihilistic, right? You know. Yeah, it was very exciting and and um, 
Um, I mean, there there were a couple of the main characters, and of course Frank Sinatra did lose it at the end, did get shot at the end, but still, it was... Spoiler alert. It was, yes. <laughs> yeah, I should have said that first. You didn't mention that in your review? I'm sure I did, because... Yeah, he got yeah. capped right at the end in the last few frames. I always remember him running for the train. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, kind of sad. But I thought, uh, you know, pretty realistic in the way it was uh, acted and portrayed. The uh, The train was well done. The scenery was, was, I thought, very realistic. I don't know if they filmed that in Italy. Sure looked like it, though. Yeah, lots of great mountains and things, yeah. especially near the end there. Yeah, a couple of scenes um, were done with miniatures, but they were done very well, tastefully, fit fit in well with the movie. Uh, that can sometimes be a little a little funny to watch. We're so used to such good special effects these days. But, yeah. So sometimes to go back to these old films. But also I just had kind of a soft spot in my heart for this film because I watched it with my dad many times. I oh, think okay. back in the old, you know, through the years. Uh, but this is the first time I actually sat down and watched it all the way through. It's a good movie to watch all the way through. It's interesting all the way through. Good dialogue. Two thumbs up. Definitely From the two up. half squads. Yep. Which we split on that longest day. Yeah, I gave that one a thumbs down. Yeah. And if you're bored again sometime soon, Jeffrey, I am currently watching Battleground, recommended by a listener. Um, it's like a movie? It's a movie. Oh. And it's, well, I won't say anything more about it, but I'm, I am over halfway done. So maybe on 65 we'll review that. Is it doing you? Chance. doing, okay. It's on Netflix. Okay, I'll get it. It won some Academy Awards. It was oh very well received in its day. Okay. Very well received. How, how old is it? Do you know? Four, fifth, No. No. Filmed in the 50s, maybe? Oh, okay. All right. I think. Well, I'll look for it. All righty. So anyway, that's my quick movie review, but what were you getting at when we were going through our list before of things that we don't oh, have on this right. show? Oh, right. So if we have nothing else to talk about... Well, you've got something you've played recently? Nope. Okay. It's going, it's going to be... <laughs> yes, and it's going to be the next ASL Extra. Oh, sweet. Early Battles, and it is a starter kit. Yes, folks, you heard that right. A starter kit... ASL Extra, which again is not going to be teaching you the rules, but we're going to be, when you listen to Tom and I play the game, talk about the game, talk yeah. about our strategies, you can look at the bigger picture, talk about how I didn't use smoke and maybe you could have, and things like that might help you to play, to learn, still to learn the game. Mm-hmm. And so that means, oh, Battleground was actually made in 1949. Okay. Yes. Good to know. That means it's time for... Now they will know why they are afraid of the dark. Now they will learn why they fear the night. All right, let's get on with those night rules. You know, we got to get through those. Rule 1.8. Wow, you're getting right into it. Gun flashes. I admire you. Now, you know, normally it's not a good idea to go around flashing people. Yeah, well, yeah. Right, but it's okay. I don't know, it depends on the circumstances, I guess. <laughs> But it's, it's okay to have gun flashes. Well, actually, I don't think you want gun flashes either because that reveals where you are. Now, they are not a form of illumination as a star shell or illuminating round. But do you remember how, they're, how they happen, Jeff? Well, you, when you shoot your gun. Yes. Yeah. It reveals your location to any unit with a line of sight to it, regardless of night visibility range. 
So you see the gun flashes off on the hillside in, in the night. Right. Now, you may fire at a target that has a gun flash placed on it during a prep, bounding fire, first fire, final fire, intensifier, opportunity fire, or a melee even has a gun flash put on it. And then you can shoot at those guys, but it's a half firepower shot at them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's the basics of that. Did you know that, um, you know, part of the, obviously that's a problem to have gun flashes, and they, but they had, they built and they used flash suppressors in World War II. To some effect. Now, was that, I know the Germans had the smokeless powder Mm -hmm. that would not reveal their positions, so can you tell me more about the suppressors? Well, um, no. (laughs) No, yes, I can. Yes, I can. But, well, I was just reading... I was just reading a little about this, and it, it's um, in, in the article I was reading. It was talking about how a very long length barrel. One of the advantages of a long barrel on a rifle, for instance, is that the uh, propellant is burnt totally by the time the bullet and the uh, propellant leaves the end of the barrel, so there is no flash. But as you get shorter and shorter weapons, you know, like you do with carbine uh-huh. carbines and other things like that, and and just you know for the for the sake of having something that's easier to tote around, you have a shorter barrel, then you run into this problem with the gun flash, where it's, the propellant is still burning as the bullet leaves the, okay. the muzzle. And so in World War II, and and even a little bit before that, they had these flash suppressors that, that, they, that they would put on, which would cover up the flash. Excellent. How about that? Beyond night visibility range, shooting at a gun flash... Is again treated as a concealed target, so that's your half firepower, regardless of whether or not the target's actually covered by a question mark, of course. Therefore, firing at a concealed unit that's also marked by a gun flash is subject to having only once, not twice. So the rule beyond night visibility range states that it is considered a concealed target, and I don't know why they just didn't state that as being it, just you shoot at half firepower. Yeah, right. right. And there may be some nuance to that that I don't haven't quite figured out as I've gamed it, so I can't clarify that for you. You know, so it's it, still concealed. It says it's concealed, okay. but it's not halved twice. Yeah, right. Uh, that that okay, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, mines can cause a gun flash only if they cause casualty reduction, or break, immobilize, or eliminate non dummy unit. I think that represents here that the explosion actually went off. Because remember, you can cross a minefield yeah. and roll and it doesn't get you. Right. Which I think represents that you made it through the minefield. Yeah. Without detonating anything. So no gun flash. Will a Molotov and flamethrower create a gun flash? Well, I would think so. Yes. Unless they're duds. And a flamethrower creates a gun flash in its own location, as well as the target location. Okay. Uh, would a demolition charge cause a gun flash? Yes. Yes, only if it detonates, um, and so it's not a dud, like you just said. And an anti-tank magnetic mine would also cause one if it damages the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Searching and mopping up. 
Hmm. Remember, that's when you go into a building, declare that you're going to mop it up. I forget which phase. Is that the movement or crap or something? Yeah. And will that cause a... Remember, you can turn up enemy units in there. Right. So what might... Would it be a gun flash? Well, no, I wouldn't think so. How would that work? Because we had that in our scenario. I had to I had to search um, in the first scenario, on oh, no, the second scenario, that we, night scenario that we played. I had to search those buildings after I took, and I only took that one building out of the three. And it, and you didn't encounter anyone. In no. The, so that would not leave a gun flash. Yeah. If you but if cause you casualty somebody? reduction to a unit that's hiding inside the building, yeah. then it would put a gun flash where that oh, unit is. Oh, interesting. Representing that you're encountered dudes and you're shooting at them. Okay. And then the gun flash is visible at distance. Again, beyond night visibility range. Yeah. Okay. All, you know. Otherwise, as we clarified in the beginning of probably part one, you can only see in the night range. Whatever the NVR is, which is going to depend on weather conditions, usually. Do you have more history stuff to work in? Does a fire for effect, OBA, cause a spotting round? I mean, cause a gun flash? I would think so, yes. You bet it does. Yeah, absolutely. Does a spotting round cause a gun flash? Remember when you you launched that one little spotting round in there? Um, Poof. Um, up. No. No, and but it can be seen by the observer, regardless of night visibility range. Oh, okay. They don't explain, and they don't have a footnote. Uh, it's a pillar of smoke. Maybe it's a little lighter. Maybe it gets yeah. up into the sky where... Yeah. It's silhouetted, I don't know. A piat. Does it cause a gun flash? And he says, I see a silhouette of a... I see a silhouette of a... How's that go? Of a man. Scaramooch, scaramooch, <laughs> can you do the fundingo? Thunderbolt and lightning, everybody frightening, real. Galileo. 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 Galileo Figaro. Stop it! Alright. Does a Piat cause a gun flash? Do you remember what's unique about a Piat? Um, what's unique? Yes, I do remember. No, it, it doesn't cause a gun flash because it's it's more, um, you know, it's manually launched. Yeah, it's like of. spring-loaded. Yeah, thing. spring-loaded thing. Very it's good. a mechanism, not a, you know. And then rule 1.89 which I'm not sure they need this rule, neither dismantling uh, support weapons, spotting, or radio causes a gun flash. Using, okay. a, using a radio doesn't cause a gun flash. No, unless okay, maybe so. it itself explodes or detonates or sparks or something <laughs> in the night. Yeah, if you got really bright dials on those radios. Oh, okay, now here's, here's why they put the rule in. Do not place a prep fire or final fire to counter for such actions at night, despite the fact that the unit has indeed fired. Because the prep fire has the little gun flash symbols on it. Oh. But. Right. So, there you go. Just okay. for clarification, I yeah. suppose they had to have that yeah. in there. Because normally you would put, you could mark them with a prep or fire. Right. Marker. God, they're thorough. All right. Yes, they are. And now we're into illumination, rule 1.9. Illumination. 
is caused by a star shell or illuminating round or a fire. Mm -hmm. Night rules remain in effect in that illuminated location, except you lose cloaking more easily, as we covered before, unless you stop and stuff in there. Right. And to fire the first star shell or illuminating round, one of these three things has to happen. So I'm just going to read them off the rules here, mostly. One, while the friendly force has no motorized vehicle on board, and an enemy motorized vehicle changes its hex or its vehicle cover arc within 16 hexes of a friendly unit that's capable of firing one of those thingies, then it and it fires the thingy, then we can start placing those thingies to start those. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, it's easier than it sounds. Listen. All right. Here's the Dave paraphrase. Okay, so you don't have any motorized vehicles around. Right. And you know that. And then you hear a vehicle uh, from within 16 hexes, because I guess that's within hearing range. Right. That So you hear something, it changes its vehicle over dark, or its hex, it's moving. Right. Its engine has to be moving. Yeah. Making noise. Boom. Then you may fire a star shell, because you hear something. Okay. A big vehicle. All right. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Type 2. A friendly unit capable of firing a thingy, star Star shell, illuminating round, has a line of sight to an enemy unit. Right. I see somebody. Yeah. Shoot up a star shell. Yeah. Or, third... A gun flash is placed due to enemy FFE or an attack versus an enemy unit. Now, that's a gun flash is placed due to an enemy fire for effect. Okay. So you start getting bombarded, I guess you can fire up a fire shell. Okay. Or an attack versus an enemy unit. So that means one of the guys on your side, right? Yeah. Shoots at the enemy. Then, oh, okay, I hear gunfire. It doesn't say you have to have a line of sight to that gun flash placed on your friendly guy shooting mm-hmm. at the enemy. Once it's placed, someone can shoot one. So they must hear the gunfire and think, okay, yeah. there's something going on, I better put up a star shot. Right. Once that's been fired, both sides are free to fire either type. So everyone's sitting there hiding at night, hiding, hiding, keeping it dark. Boom, you hear an enemy First guy vehicle. goes. Yeah, first one goes up. Everything can start lighting up the yeah. sky. okay. And a star shell illuminated a three-hex range. It's got a three printed on the counter. And it can be fired in either the prep fire or the defensive first fire or final fire phase. Okay? Mm-hmm. Which means, again, so you want to see the enemy in your prep. That's obvious enough. First thing you do is shoot up star shells. Yeah. You could light up stuff further away from you. See guys out in the open, whatever. Or defensive first fire. So they're you know, they're moving at us. We want to light it up. Yeah. Now placement during defensive first fire can occur without seeing a moving enemy unit. So you know, I guess you don't see them, but you can just fire that up. Uh, one attempt to fire a star shell may be made per hex. Now, that's not per unit. Remember per that? hex, Yeah, right. we kind of went through each hex yeah. and said, well, this hex has a leader and a multi-man counter. They can't try for two. They 
can try for one star shelf per hex. Yeah. Why, I have no idea. Maybe it gets too complicated. Or takes too long. To yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, they didn't want the game to get, you know, long and, and slow. Right. And the people that can fire star shells are... Could because normally it moves very quickly. <laughs> now, if you play quicker like the Australians... I know. You I know. know. I want to be like the Australians someday. The people that fire one can be a leader, multi-man counter, or crew exposed armor fighting vehicle. Because oh. it's, you know, the yeah. hatch is open, you can, or it's just open top, you can fire. Yeah. Now, of course, you have to be in good order. Can I fire a star shell from a pillbox, Jeff? Mm, it depends how long your arm is. <laughs> Stick it out the hole, <laughs> aim up at the sky? <laughs> so, of course, the answer is no. Can I fire it when I'm pinned? Hmm. No, I don't think so. No, no. TI. No. Uh, Temporarily immobilized, which I always think means task involved. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're pushing a gun or you're busy tearing up yeah, a roadblock? Sorry. No. No, too busy. Yeah. Now, before a leader can fire a star shell, he makes the usage die roll. So it's one die and it's leaderless for all those units that want to fire a star shell. The leader must roll a... Four. Or less, correct? Remember? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the multi-man counter needed to roll... Uh, two? Two or less. It? Yeah. That's correct. And in addition, after the player turn... I'm read this straight out of here. After the player turn in which the first star shell illuminating round of the scenario is fired, any unit that fires a star shell must do so at the start of the prep fire phase, enemy movement phase... Before the attacker commences firing or moving. So it's got to happen first. Which I'm sure we got sloppy on. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> yeah, know? that's why I'm looking kind of like, ah, I don't really remember that. I yeah. think we didn't remember that. We wouldn't play. I, yeah. I, wouldn't, I don't normally play that that tight. You know, because, yeah. okay, I'm going to move. Ready, go. One, right. two, and he's far away. And I'm moving again, three, four. And then you start moving closer. And, oh, yeah, I wanted to shoot a... Yeah. Of course I'm going to illuminate the street in front of me. Right. You know, but you were moving it halfway across the board. I didn't really remember. I had yeah. to fire. So remember, folks, if you're in a tournament or playing with a mean person, <laughs> or or you just want to be a stickler and get the yeah, rules learn correct. it the right way. Yes, you learn it best when you're forced to not yeah go back. Yeah, that's right. Because you get all angry about it. Yeah, makes you all mad. Yeah, <laughs> makes me all real angry and mad. It's a scary face. Darn you, maybe you <laughs> become a pirate and you want to kill everybody. I'm glad we're not on video with this. That's oh. terrifying. Oh. A little my road rage. Come yeah. On. So yeah, at the start of the phase. So try and help each other. Hey, I'm going to start moving. Do you want to fire any star shells? Yeah, good idea. Now firing a star shell. Has no effect on your ability to do much else. Doesn't cause a gun flash, which I wonder about, but eh, go with it. Yeah. And you don't lose concealment for it. And, and probably a lot of that's because of night. You want to be able to keep right night stuff going. So, where does that illuminating, or I'm sorry, star shell, where does the star shell go? Well, it can go a lot of places. It usually doesn't go where you want it to go, that's for sure. <laughs> that's less. We learned about that. Lesson number one. Yeah. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, I mean, you would think. 
you could just point and shoot, but it is not like that at all. Yeah. Really. Which really, it, and actually it made the game more interesting. It's, it did. And yeah. if you think about it, you don't know where they're moving yet, so yeah. you're not really sure where you want to place it. Right. Especially if the units are coming from behind buildings, so it may yeah. add a little fog of war. I don't know how accurate those things were. No idea. Did they have little fins on them that made them go through? Probably not, and those were very short-muzzled, you know... Firing weapons. Yeah. Yep. Lots of reasons. Yep. But you remember what? And then there, of course, there's wind and all that stuff that would be involved. Yeah, although wind does not technically is not in here. Yeah, they don't. Um, which uh, which I was kind of surprised because yeah. I thought about, you know, strong, on a gusty uh, day or a yeah, strong or, wind or, or whatever. Or a mild breeze. Yeah. Maybe you could have a go a hex that way. Yeah. That I like that idea, Jeff. We'll add those pages in. <laughs> It would only be a paragraph. Oh. So do you remember how to place them? I know it was a long time ago you played. Your yeah, first it's been games, it's been a, been a month or so, two months or so. You could fire it. Well, you can fire it straight up. Straight up. Now that's it, place it in your own hex, and then you made a random direction die roll. Right. And went with it. Yeah. Just like a normal kinda sniper like, check die like roll. Kind of like a sniper check die roll, yeah. Yeah. Direction and distance. And as you said, that could go almost anywhere. Yeah. And then part two was you you could have if you had a line of sight to a gun flash or a known enemy right less than nine hexes away you could place it either in that hex or along the line of sight to it so I'm aiming at that direction I'll go two hexes he's you know eight hexes away from me it's a gun flash right across the open ground by the woods I can fire it two hexes away three four you know. And then, because you can see someone, you make the random direction die roll, mm-hmm. but it's the extent of error. The white die is half. Half. Okay, so it's right. not going to drift six. Correct. It can only drift as much as three. Correct. And when it's yeah. a, got a three range, got a good chance of lighting up yeah. most of the area you wanted to get. Right. And um, you get a free line of sight check for yeah. that. If you... And then, I, rem- I remember flying, firing a gun... Uh, um, a flare, and uh, <laughs> just to, all it did would illuminate my own guy yourself. Yeah, yeah, and which is so, really not the one, not the way I wanted it to so go. So, talk strategy here. Yeah. Uh, if yeah, there is this chance of illuminating yourself. Yeah. When you remember, as we talked before, when you're in an illuminated location, you can only see into other illuminated locations. Right. Right. So it can mess up what you can see. Yeah. So I've lit myself up before and then not been able to see out into the darkness. Right. Um, and method three was you can initially place a star shell in any hex that's three hexes away from you. So you're just shooting it kind of up at an angle instead of straight up. Yeah. Up out at an angle, make a random direction die roll with no having. So again, that, that puppy can go anywhere. Yeah. That's the most wild one. Yeah. I thought was three hexes away, and then, although it kind of shifts it a little bit to a direction yeah. instead of just overhead. So are there um, any special rules about gun flashes regarding the Japanese and the PTO? Because I know that, um, well, gen- generally speaking, uh, the Japanese, apparently, the, the, because of the weapons they used, didn't produce a lot of gun flashes. At least that's what the reports were. And they used, uh, you know, they had a very long, very long rifles. If you see in the 
the movies and stuff. And the pictures. Yeah, they Some did have were, the long rifles. Quite long rifles. And those long rifles, you know, the propellant was already burnt Expired up. By the, yeah, by the time the bullet came out of the muzzle. So, um, you know, there was a lot of reports that there really weren't gun flashes. And it was kind of tough fighting in the jungles because they didn't you didn't know where the, the uh, enemy fire was coming from a lot of times. Yep, and that is not in the rules. No, okay. The, the trip flares are only in the PTO. We won't cover those tonight yeah. forever. Well, yeah. until we get to PTO. Okay. Um, yeah, they did have really long rifles. Yeah, they did. They painted a lot of miniatures, and they also used a, a lot, you know, a little bit lighter bullet than what the um, than that what the Marines were using in some of those. <clears throat> you know, there's always this balance of how big a round, how much gunpowder, how much can you carry, that all these things come into play, but the, you know, the Marines used a heavier bullet um, that fired faster, but they decided that they didn't care because it had such good killing power, and they didn't, they thought, you know, we'll sacrifice the, you know, having the gun flash, because oh, uh, we'll have, the, a, we'll get a heavier killing power in our bullets. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, Jack told us that. He's our historian? Our Jack, our historian, our historian at large, as we call him. Thank you, Jack. Yeah, thank you, Jack, for that. And so, how a star shell, to finish that up, it lasts until the end of the close combat phase after placement of concealment. Okay. You know, at the end you place your concealments on guys who can't be... So that can ruin the placement of the concealments. That would do it. And if it goes off board, you just... Put an extra board up against the edge and still count the gun flash. Oh, okay. You know? And I think we were just eyeballing it when we were playing it. Yeah. I'm not a big one on breaking out that extra board, but keep one handy, folks. And now illuminating rounds. And these don't come up much. These are fired by OBA or mortars. I don't think I've ever played them with an OBA. Yeah. But onboard mortars, I have used them. And the mortar has to have an illuminating round. It's the IR symbol on the back of your mortar mm-hmm. as an ammo type. To use that, you roll the four or less to have it available. Okay. And that it's not a usage die roll. It's just a die roll as to whether you have it at this time. So you can make that roll repeatedly before you fire one. And then you make it to hit roll, and that's just to check for a malfunction and the low ammo and sniper activation because you're not rolling to hit. You're rolling to fire this illuminating round up into the air with the mortar. It would take up all the rate of fire. An onboard mortar firing an illuminating round does, of course, cause a gun flash. Okay. And can be loss of concealment. Mm-hmm. And then it talks about the OBA, which I'm just not going to cover really yeah. tonight. Um, so, did you mention, what about grenades? Illuminating grenades? Yes. White phosphorus? No, really what I was talking about, what I was thinking of was placement of smoke. Or, you know, in At in night? general, but white phosphorus in particular. Would that cause gun flash or otherwise illuminate? Is White phosphorus is the burning grenade? Yeah, I mean, it burns pretty... But it doesn't burn brightly. It burns brightly. Tiger, I mean, tiger burning bright. Yes, yes. No, it doesn't. White phosphorus does. I mean, phosphorus itself does. Well, Burns extremely bright. That's also not in the rules. Oh, okay. We'll have to find out why that uh, why that's not in there. Does it really burn bright? Phosphorus? Oh, yeah. 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 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Just oh, trust yeah. John Are you Allen. Kidding me? Here I got some right here. I got some with me. <laughs> no, no need to no need to break that out. Yeah. And placement with the mortar use. Alright, it has to be method two of the previous rules. That was firing it along a line of sight to a known unit any yeah. distance away. And the maximum placement is six hexes with an illuminating round. And the range of an illuminating round, the light-up area, is a whopping six hexes. That's a lot of hexes. That's a lot of hexes. So you can light up a whole lot of stuff with an illuminating round fire from a mortar. Yeah. And a mortar's to hit die roll automatically results in the placement of the illuminating round, unless it malfunctions. Mm-hmm. And the initial... Placement hex of an illuminating round does not have to be in the covered arc. It can just be anywhere. And those things last just like a star shell, though. They end at the end of the close combat phase, so they burn out just as quickly, although they burn much brighter. Ah. And we'll finish up our night presentation with rule 1.94, fires. Remember, we did have that burning building. Oh, we did, yeah. That was very cool. I like that. The blaze... Any blaze will cast an illuminated zone, and the, it goes out from the base hex equal to twice the number of burning levels. So a one-level burning building, two levels of uh, illumination going out, or two hexes going mm-hmm. out, uh, two-level burning, four hexes going out, and a hex containing a blaze is illuminated at all levels, as is any hex within the blaze's illuminated zone. Again, exception of blind hexes, which will come up in a minute, shadows. Fires cannot be deliberately set, of course, unless the special scenario rule says so. Right. And the sh- what I like, too, is the shadows from the blaze also count. So there's a, if there's a terrain obstacle, uh, one level within the illuminated zone, or more. Illuminated zone, it causes this quasi-blind hex, they call it here in the rule, in the sense that it blocks illumination of those hexes. So any line of sight obstacle in a blaze's illuminated zone creates a non-illuminated hex behind it, just as if each blaze counter were instead a viewing unit. So you just pretend the blaze, you you measure out from the blaze in any direction, Mm -hmm. any one-level obstacle around that fire is going to cause blind hexes behind it as shadow areas. Very nice indeed. And that's a fire. Whereas a flame itself only illuminates its own location. And nothing more. Remember, the flame turns into a blaze later. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. And that's it. We're not going to do trip flares. Save it for for the PTO. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a very good idea. So that's all very good stuff. And, you know, we had a little extra... um, some history sent over to us from Jack, which which I found pretty uh, Give us some fascinating more to read. Well, one thing you know, the flash, the gun flash was a big deal, and so there was a lot of pressure to try to create flashless powders. And um, one way they came up with of uh, doing that, solving that problem, was using a trip what they call a triple base propellant, which uses uh, instead of using potassium salts, they use something called nitroguanidine. Um, nitroguanidine is 
that dry- come from guano? It does. Like bat poop? Yes, it does. It comes from the dried excrement of birds and bats. Wow. That's the easiest way to get that particular chemical. And so guano was um, imported from um, a lot of islands around the Pacific and places like that. And it was a very important uh, resource during the during wartime for the purpose of creating flashless powder. So how about that? If you you know, I don't know if you grow a bat farm, have a bat farm, and just feed them a lot of bran. I do you not. Could probably call the government and really cash in. Um. So thank you, Jack. I thought that, that one that one made my day. <laughs> I'm a big guano fan. And he mentions the Guano Islands Act, which is a federal legislation passed by Congress in 1856. It enabled citizens of the United States to take possession of islands containing guano deposits. You're kidding me. The islands were located anywhere as long as they were not occupied and not within the jurisdiction of other governments. So it's not like you could just go take over the Philippines, which we did anyway. Yeah. Or tried. But, but... So it's actually established in the law then. And, you know, guano is also important in fertilizers. Yes. And I learned that listening to a podcast that I highly recommend to the listeners. It's not Radio Lab. It is called uh, 99% Invisible. And it is like a four to eight minutes typically podcast. No, it wasn't. I'm sorry. I'll take that back. But I'll recommend that one anyway. Mm-hmm. It, that's one on design and how elements, things around us are all designed. It's very good. But this was was from Radio Lab, and they talked about the guy that developed gas in the war, initially oh. World War One. Yeah. Initially developed the the nit what is it the nitrous what is it? what comes from this stuff. The, they use it from the guano to, to make fertilizer. He discovers this. He's a big hero. Right. Then he finds a way to make this into gas mm. components for the war. Big villain. Bizarrely, his his wife thinks he's horrible for doing this in the war, and so he she commits suicide. Mm. It's a it's a wild story, uh, but I highly recommend finding that one out. Maybe I'll link it if I get the time. Yeah. on Radio Lab. And that's where I first heard about guano and this nitrous whatever being this powerful thing that we yeah. needed for fertilizers, and I didn't know about it for military purposes either. They hardly ever bring it up, like in, in history reports, you know, but it's like... <laughs> but I've heard about it like three different sources yeah. this year alone about this yeah. guano. It's actually a line they cut out of Casablanca, where the, the police superintendent says, So, Rick... What brings you to Casablanca? I came for the guano. <laughs> I don't think they cut that, that out. In there. Yeah, but there's no guano here. I was misinformed. Uh, oh, looking up that Radio Lab show, it was called the Bad Show, and it was from January 9th, two thousand and twelve. The Bad Show. Yeah, because they were asking the question. Is this guy good or bad? He oh. helps feed millions. Yes. He kills people in this horrible way on the battlefield. Uh, yeah. His wife kills herself. He leaves the next day for the front. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and it's got a surprise ending that I'm not even going to mention here because it's just real powerful stuff. We call our show the bad show for a lot of other reasons. <laughs> yes, we do. Like every episode. Yes, we do. 
And now we have a little time left, Jeffrey. We do, yeah, because it's early yet, and we've, we've only done half of the imitations that we'd normally do during a show. Okay, boys and girls, it's terrain time. You know what that means. It's terrain time, Jeff. I hope so. What terrain is it, Jeff? What? What terrain is it, Jeff? Well, I'll give you a hint. Here's a, a, a line from a famous movie. What's a girl got to do to get out of a shell hole like this? <laughs> is it shell holes? It is shell holes. Good thing you put an S on that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah shell holes. Because singular is not as interesting. Ah, the rules for shell holes are easy. Yeah, they're very short, actually. Well, tell me about them. So it's an interesting terrain type. Shell holes are represented by a brown splotch, by brown splotch marks with a dark brown core. This is a very familiar counter. Uh, it says shell hole right on it. That's the, that's the counter. And, and that's I the counter. Remember on those early boards, they had a lot of shell holes printed right on the board. No, get out of here, like, really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on board two, yeah, hex U six. Oh, I got to look at that. Yeah, they're on there. Yeah, and sometimes you have a special that? rule like ignore the shell holes. Oh, okay. They wanted to use the board, but they were printed on there. Yeah. Okay. So, well, okay. So sometimes they're on the board, but at other times you would actually be placing them on the board. So there are counters for them, and then. Um, you can place the shell hole counter in open ground, orchard, brush, or greenfield immediately after any original KIA result in the prep fire or defensive fire resolution of a concentrated high explosive FFE or aerial bomb or rocket attack. Of any millimeter size? Not any millimeter. It's got to be greater than 150 millimeters. So you, you, it's you really only, Yeah, it's going to have to be a big piece of ordinance for, uh, for it to leave a shell hole. And it can't happen in a building hex then. Right. Woods? Was Woods there? Uh, Woods was not there. It's going to happen in uh, open ground, orchard, brush, or grain field. Okay, that's pretty much the... The, the flat. Fairly easy, yeah. The orchard, there's a few trees. The woods, yeah. concentrated trees, so it couldn't get in there. Right. And such emplacement removes any entrenchment counters that might be in that hex. Oh, it blows up all the, the fox uh, foxholes or... Uh, or trenches, trenches yeah. Um, but it doesn't necessarily remove the contents, so if there are men or materiel in those areas, those don't necessarily get removed. Okay. Um, and even if the hex was already a shell hole hex, it can... Well, that wouldn't make sense. <laughs> well, it doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Such placement removes all entrenchment counters in that hex, even if the hex was already a shell hole hex. Oh, it does make sense. Because if it's a printed shell hole hex, and I have placed my trench, oh, I dug a trench right. going through the yes. printed shell holes, you might argue, well, it's already shell holes, so now you blew it up and there's more. But the trick is there's more shell yeah. holes. And the new shell holes will wreck my trench, yeah. gosh darn you. Yeah, after all that work you did. <laughs> Backbreaking labor. Yeah. Well... Is that a obstacle to line of sight? Shall no, we? and I, you know, I kind of thought that it might be like a, big, huge like, piles of dirt. Yeah, but no, it prevents uh, no obstacle or hindrance to line of sight through the hex. And the 
The conditional uh, terrain effect modifier of a shell hole is plus one, so that applies only to infantry. Can I can I carry a boat and and with me, you know, manhandle a boat or a gun into the shell hole and count to plus one? I wouldn't recommend it. Oh, no, no, no. It applies only in infantry and it is not (laughs) cumulative with uh, any other possible terrain effect modifiers. Okay, so I can't count it with the woods. Well, it wouldn't well, be, there wouldn't be in woods, but grain, if you know if grain was in season. No, there's, oh, no, there's no TM, TM. with grain. Well, you'll come up with some cases, I yeah. know, if you if you try various things in ASL. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm sure there's always uh, going to be. Height advantage? What about it? You could have a plus one height advantage. Oh, right. And have shell holes, but you couldn't count them both. Yes, that's right. Uh, what I do hate about shell holes, Jeff. Oh, hate is such a strong word. I, okay, what I slightly dislike <laughs> is when you enter them, you enter the hex, you can pay the open ground cost, one, to move around the shell holes. Right. Zigzagging, I suppose, or leaping over them. Yep. Or you can pay two. All right, if you expend the two, then you're entering the actual shell hole itself. If you expend only the one, you get hit with the first fire movement open ground. Right. Or interdiction in the route phase. And that's the part I don't like. Oh, yeah. The interdiction in the route phase. So you have these shell holes, and I believe it's the same for foxholes. So you've dug those foxholes out there. Or let's say you deliberately used your 150 just to try and get shell holes in front of the woods area you want to defend. Yeah. You put yourself out in front of the woods, in the shell holes, you get broken, the next hex is more shell holes, and then the next hex is woods to retreat. You get nailed interdiction in the route phase. Yeah. Getting up out of the hole and running across what's left of the open ground hex. I I just really hate that rule. Because... (laughs) You know, it just keeps me from using foxholes yeah. further out. I, yeah. Maybe it's realistic, but I I, I think it's probably realistic because I got to get up out of the foxhole yeah. shell hole. And that you know, I was disappointed in that a little bit um, when I got into ASL. Is I thought foxholes would be better protection than they are, but yeah, a lot of times, you know, if you put a guy in a foxhole, you better leave him there throughout the scenario. Because as soon as he comes out, go. he's going to get popped. <laughs> it's a neg, neg one, neg <laughs> yeah. two. It's just not, not worth it. Just leave him in there. And, uh, yeah, trenches are dug where you can move with yeah. the protection of the trench back through. So much superior terrain type are trenches. Yeah. The And there's no up and out if you go out the end of the trench. No, it just seems to be you can get out. You just walk out. Maybe you built little stairs up, and then yeah. you're already in the next hex. Yes, a path. You built a path. A path, a path. And so, yeah, that's my big gripe with this terrain type. But as you say, maybe it does make sense. Now, if you're pinned in that hex, you immediately regain the cover. So mm-hmm. I guess it assumes you drop into the shell holes itself. Right. If you expend the two moving points to enter, you get the protection. So one, two, it's going to slow you down. One, two, the next hex, I assume you're crawling. It's going to slow you down a little bit, or you're scrambling through, taking some cover. Right. You're not just running straight across. And cav and horse-drawn vehicles 
must enter at the two movement factor rate, even though they never get the cover, of course. Much yeah. like the guys carrying boats. Right. Okay? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, if you do have red barricades, and I'm going to assume it's similar in Valor of the Guard, which I've never played anything from yet myself. Shame on me. Uh, well... Let's, okay, I'll try this. On the Red Barricades map, a squad in CC3 may move into the BB3 gully shell hole. Oh, screw that. Forget it. <laughs> Cut that out. Okay. Um, so. Too much detail. That covers our shell hole terrain time. Yeah, that was a good one. Those come up. Many more to come. Yeah. There's lots of terrain in your future. <laughs> I would say. It certainly is. <laughs> Whether you want it or not. Yeah. Well, then I guess that's going to wrap it up for this show, Dave. That will do so, Jeff. Thanks for coming out and polishing off night part three. Yeah, was, that was a that was a challenging one, but I'm glad we did it. More than I we feel, thought. I feel more manly having done it. And listeners get a little more variety when we don't do a night all in one episode. Yeah, one two hour episode. Right. Yeah. So that's uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up in the near future. I know there's some great products coming out very shortly. There's some big tournaments coming up shortly. We've got some interviews. ASL Open. Yep. Festoon Budapest supposed to be out in about a month. Yeah. And I think the Action Pack 8's already out. Yep. Alex Key sent me an email. We'll have to check in with Keith Dalton and see how things are going. Yep. Or Chaz. So, so thanks anyway, for lots listening, of everybody. Thanks, everybody. Remember to... Um, Roll low. And rally well. But, but not, not when, when you're, you're playing, playing us. us. Bye bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Yeah, the night girls are quite fascinating. See, now you like them better. Makes me want to. Yeah, makes me want to get a nice bottle of wine. What was this about the white phosphorus? There's just nothing, no difference at night. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that should be. uh...